I was coming home from a bar on a weeknight and um, you know, I was I was getting ready for bed and like lying in bed on Facebook. As I've been making this show, I've been looking for positive things to come out of people answering their spam. Not because it's a good idea, because 98% of the time it is not. But because I wanted to show that amazing things can come from even the worst places in the world. And in December 2012, Kane Lynch found the beginnings of a wild adventure in the worst of places. His Facebook Other Messages folder. Reporter Avery Truffleman investigated the story. And um, my friend posted this status that, oh my god, you guys, so do you remember a year ago when I lost my wallet? Well, it turns out that somebody found it, and uh, they tried to Facebook message me, but Facebook put their message in the other messages folder, so I didn't get it for like a year. So make sure you check your other messages folder. Uh, so I'm like, it's like, you know, I'm falling asleep, but I'm like, whatever, I'll check my other messages folder. And like, almost everything in there is from like groups I forgot I joined or whatever, you know, it's just like garbage. But the, there is this one message it's from Derek Hartley, and he says, Hey there, sorry to bother you. I am doing some genealogy research, and one of my relatives shares the same name and birth date with your grandfather. I'm wondering if they are one and the same. Any information you can provide would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. So... You know, I'm kind of like processing this. My, my first thought is like, it's some kind of racket. Fake long-lost relatives are one of the main genres of internet scam, so Kane had reason to be wary. But like, all the names are right, so then like, okay, maybe it's, I don't know, there's something to this. He responded. I replied kind of tentatively. I said, Hi Derek, I just checked the other folder on my Facebook and saw this message for the first time, because this was, uh... December, and he had messaged me in July. Are you still researching this? And Derek said, Hey, Kane, thanks for writing back. I don't know how I ended up in the other folder. How sad is that? Yes, I am still researching. It's something of a long, complicated, crazy story that led me to this project. It was very complicated, as you'll soon learn. But one detail made sense to Kane. The name of Derek's long-lost father. It brought back a memory. So uh, my grandfather died in 2007, and my dad and I flew out to D.C. to kind of, like, go through all his stuff. There was a collection of paperwork all relating to another son he had had before my dad and kept secret. The long-lost father and the long-lost uncle were the same man. These two strangers had just become cousins. And that dive into the spam box kicked off a series of events that led to a graphic novel, a cross-country trip, a confrontation of biblical proportions in the middle of a church, in the middle of a bank, and most importantly, a whole new family. Check my aim about to get rich fast This prince will share his fortune if I front a little cash And all these offers promise high return on my investment If Elon wants my social, who am I to question? Enter in my credit card info when preparing to meet up with All these hot singles in my area But first I'll send this email Cause if not then I will probably disappoint the nice recruitment guy from the Illuminati Welcome to Unwanted Words, I'm Ryan Estrada uh, This week I'm bringing you a story that the people involved in can't stop talking about. Kane turned it to the graphic novel Delicate Lies. Uh, Avery Truffleman, whose work you may know from Snap Judgment, 99% Invisible, or Articles of Interest, developed it into a radio story. Unfortunately, that radio story never saw the light of day until she was gracious enough to let me dig into all 10 gigabytes of audio and share the tale with you. And what a wild ride it was. Uh, it all revolves around the mysterious long-lost father, whose name I will be bleeping, and the people he left behind. So let's check back in with Kane. So at that point, I decided to acknowledge Derek in a more proper way. You know what? Why don't I let Derek take it from here? Hi. 
my name is Derek Hartley, and I'm a talk show host, and I live in New York. You see, Derek wasn't a con artist. He was investigating one. When I was a kid, my mom sat me down and told me a bit, you know, an age-appropriate version of the story <laughs> of who my biological father was. Here's Derek's mom, Tracy. I was waitressing. I was living in Quantico, Virginia. I had gotten divorced and was just trying to survive on my own. And it was this handsome military police officer. I couldn't believe my great fortune that this wonderful, handsome man could love me. My mother believed that uh, his wife had died in a uh, train accident. In a very tragic story, they had had a fight. She left with the kids. She called him. They had a weepy apology, phone call. She was on her way back to the house. The car stalled on a railroad track, and then a train hit it and killed her and his children. A terrible, terrible Dickensian story. Turns out, completely a lie. His wife was very much alive. <laughs> his children, very much alive. Oh, my God. <laughs> Young and stupid. Um, and then my mother discovered the uh, deception when she was on base while he was in San Diego. And um, some a mutual friend of theirs came up and said, Have you heard from us? How are they doing? And I said, they? And he said, yeah, his wife and baby. My mother said, what baby? Because his, <laughs> his wife had a baby. That's why he's out in California. And uh, my mother threw him out. And so he told me his story that he and his wife had decided to divorce. And then she found out she was pregnant. And he wanted to make sure the baby had his name. So they agreed they'd stay married until the baby was born. And he only flew back to California to sign the divorce papers so he and I could be together forever because he loved me so much. And that was when I got pregnant. He, he had taken his jacket off and was hopped in the shower and my mother noticed there was a letter sticking out of the corner of his jacket when she went to hang it up and it was from his wife in San Diego and my mother opened it right up and they were not getting divorced that Carol thought they were still madly in love and as soon as I said the word pregnant he was gone that was it so all he needed to hear was that there was another baby coming and he was out of the picture it freaked me out in a weird way I don't know it was just like People kept going back to like, whoa, this is like a movie, or what if this is a movie? But it really did kind of feel like, here's a plot that you didn't know was happening, and you, you get caught up, and you missed the first three acts, but here we are. There was a lot more to discover, because after many more emails with lots more strangers, DNA tests, public record searches, detective works, and visits to spam folders, they pieced together even more of the story. Between 1965 and 1969, the man had fathered at least six children by four women, Leslie, Donna, Carol, and Tracy, and abandoned all of them. So, uh, got married the first time in 1965 to a uh, young nurse named Leslie. Leslie met this man when he was in the seminary. I kept having to go to confession. He had to go to confession so often that the priest told her she'd just have to get married. So she did. And she got pregnant. Her husband left the seminary. She wasn't sure if he quit or got kicked out. Then he became a police officer until he was fired from that job. Leslie heard it was because he was caught in the back of a police car naked with another woman. He had 17 jobs in the two years they were married. She wasn't happy about this or the letters she intercepted from other women. But by that time, Leslie was pregnant again. When I was about eight months pregnant, he hit me with his fist in the head. 
and handcuffed me to the door. The audio is a little difficult to hear, but Leslie said that when she was pregnant with their second child, her husband punched her in the head and handcuffed her to a door. But then he didn't have the key, so he left. And then he left, and Stephanie was a baby in the house, and I couldn't get to her. Right after that, Leslie filed for divorce, and never heard from him again. While they were divorced and before he remarried, he uh, met a car hop and uh, got her pregnant. Here's Donna. And he came in for a cup of coffee like cops and coffee go together. And I was the waitress. And he came in and I got to know him and all the, the, he blew me away. He was so good looking. With me, he told me his first wife had absconded with the kids. He was using all of his resources on the police department to find them. He had hired detectives looking for them, and he was missing his family. But when he found them, he knew he was going to have to divorce her if she wasn't divorcing him. And as soon as we knew what that situation was, he was going to marry me. Things didn't work out. We had talked about I might be, I might be having a baby, and I never saw him again. And then married Carol. Carol got pregnant. Here's Carol. I don't understand why he married me. Why? Why? What did he, why did he marry me? He had a woman who gave birth one month before I married him. And then within less than 10 months, he impregnates another woman that I married. And I'm married to him. I go, where's the religious? Where's the man that has any conscience whatsoever about being a husband? I don't get it. And then while she was pregnant with Laura, was stationed in Virginia and then uh, met my mother in Virginia. Uh, She didn't realize it, but she was pregnant with me. Here's Tracy again. He just left a trail of destruction. Didn't care. And then he went back to Carol and they had another daughter, Rita. So there's six of us in all that we know of. I'd be really curious how many more there are out there. I mean, we found six children. I don't know how old he was, probably 27 or 28 when Rita was born. He was still under 30. He had a lot of childbearing or child-creating years ahead of him. I suspect there are probably another half dozen out there. Donna had a theory why. My opinion was they have a word now for it. It's sex addict. Okay, back then, if a woman would have been like him, she would have been considered uh, promiscuous or nymphomaniac. And a man was just considered virile. So one time, I was at work, he was using my car, and he picked me up. He was a police officer at the time, but he wasn't in uniform. So we were going to my parents' house, and all of a sudden, he pulled over in the median, in the in the center. And I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? He says, I can't wait any longer. i got to have you now. And I'm like, right here in front of he says, nobody's going to slow down. They're all in a hurry to get where they're going. And this won't take long. So we did. That was when my brain just like shut off a little bit because, uh, you know, it's really interesting. Like I was telling everybody around me about it and everything, but it was also just like, that was so many names. And I like, I have a tiny family. Like uh, my mom has a couple siblings. My dad has one sister. Um, until recently, I was an only child. So like, I just like... I couldn't deal with all these people, you know, it's just like cast of characters. I know there's lots, there's lots of players, lots of names. It can get very confusing, very, very fast. (laughs) But all of these people, including the mothers who seemed like they would have every reason to distrust one another, had become friends. There certainly was a desire for some sense of 
completion about what had taken place, especially, I think, for the moms, that that was sort of important to sort of, this was this thing that happened a long time ago when I was very, very young. But meeting these other women and talking about the situation, you realize, it you know, it's not me. <laughs> I fell for the same line that all of these other women fell for. Carol had reached out to the others. And she was just so lovely about the whole thing. She said, I know it's not your fault. I'm sure he tricked you. He lied to you. I don't hold it against you. So it was just like such a relief. Because when I found out he was married, it was already too late. And I never wanted to be the other woman. I'm not that kind of person. And then to meet the wife was just insane. But... I think everybody realized that he's such a con man that it isn't there no woman was able to resist him. When he looked at you, the rest of the world disappeared. He was looking into your eyes like he was looking into your soul. And he pretended, because I realize now he was only caring about himself, but he pretended that you were the most important thing and he was madly in love and can't believe he just met you. And, and then the other thing that he did, he always had a sob story. He was handsome and smooth talking and could come up with a story like no other. I don't know what he told the others, but he had a story that would melt your heart and then look at you like you were the last drink of water before he went into the desert. And it's like you felt obligated to make his life better. You wanted to make up for the hurt that other people had caused him. And each of us knew that we had that kind of love. This man had no conscience. And I, you know, I believe it. I think a typical con artist, but his con was love. The one person who wasn't part of this new family made out of one man's former families was the man himself. He has changed his name, he has remarried, and he, the person that we all believe to be him has completely disavowed any relationship with any of us, pretends like we, he is not the person that we are seeking. So he, he has a completely new life where he believes that none of these people are related to him in any way and that he is not the person that we're looking for. So all these relatives made their connection official in the most official way they possibly could. Um, these newly connected siblings and um, ex-wives formed a Facebook group called Operation Lynch Mob. Kane was along for the ride, even if it was a little weird. Yeah, even the, the lynch mob thing kind of made me wince, both the types of like, it's a little, um, you know, <laughs> lynch doesn't have the best connotation, but... And then on another level, it's just like, wow, like, puns on this name are new to you. Like, I've been hearing this my whole life. There was one more Lynch to bring on board. Kane's father, Joe Lynch. So then I texted my dad and I said, like, I have something kind of crazy to tell you. Are you ready? <laughs> are you sitting down? Started talking to Joe and Joe, of course, wanted contact with And I explained to him the situation that this was sort of disavowing all of us and pretending like he wasn't who he was. But I said, you know what? You're his brother, and your connection to him is not his fault. He didn't do anything wrong. Maybe he will own up to you in a way that he hasn't owned up to, owned up to the rest of us. So Joe did write to him and <laughs> pretended like it wasn't his brother. Said, I don't know who you're looking for. My mother is dead now, so she can't confirm it, but I'm not your long-lost brother, and may God help you in your search. 
which made me want to barf, uh, because he knows it's exactly him. And we have a dedicated and aggressive paper trail that proves that he is exactly the person that we're all talking about. And seeing pictures of him and seeing pictures of us, it's pretty clear we're all related to each other. Even though he had changed his name, the family was able to keep tabs on him via his Angel Fire page. He'd gotten remarried and moved to Catalina, where he was the pastor of his own church. And so he won't talk to anybody, like anyone in the family, but he has a pretty decent social media presence. But, um, most of what he, his Twitter is like pictures of like airplanes on the island and just like goofy stuff about the island. And even his website, like the website of the church, it's like mostly stuff about why you're going to hell. But then it's also like cool things to do in Catalina. And uh, so in a moment of like of a kind of out of character whimsy, he included a photo on his Twitter that said, how I get to work. And it showed him taking the ferry from Long Beach to Catalina. Knowing where and when he would be, Operation Lynch Mom decided to have a family reunion. They traveled from all over the country to Long Beach. Finally, you know, we pulled the trigger and we decided, all right, July uh, 2013, we're all going to get together in Long Beach because it works in Catalina. So our plan was, well, we'll all get together nearby. And there was some, there's been some divide internally among our group about whether or not to actually have contact with And some people have wanted to confront him. Other people have just sort of wanted to make sure that we were visible so he could see us, so he would know it was us, but not actually have any interaction with him. And then other people in our group just don't care. They don't see him as a necessary figure and having contact with him isn't important. I could go any of these ways. I am totally fine not having him in my life. I lived 40 years of my life without having him in it or connected to the other members of my family. I'm glad now that I have a relationship with my uh, half-siblings and with his brother and with my cousin Kane, but he's incidental to the situation now. The reunion went great, though. And uh, we all got together in the afternoon, and it was really fun. I mean, we, honestly, it was so weird that we just could not stop laughing. The first half hour or so we were there, we were just in hysterics because it was it was so improbable, especially after all of this time, that we would all come together in this way. It was just, it's really fun. It's hard to describe how connected we all are to each other because we've all grown up with very very different lives and you won't meet people who are more different in your life than we all are and yet coming together it felt like I've known all these people my whole life and on a subatomic level I feel connected to all of them and we just everybody's a blast we just want to have fun But there was one person they had yet to reunite with. We had decided, once we got there, we decided, okay, well, maybe we should actually go to Catalina and see if we can see him. And uh, once we got there, we realized that the boat to Catalina sells out months in advance and that we could not just book it, hop on the boat and go. Like, I was a little wrinkled by that because I felt like... I guess, like, I could have checked. Anybody could have checked. So we hatched a plan, a drunken plan, that what we'll do is we'll get up, we'll go to the dock, and then we'll wait on the dock. And he'll see us. We'll know 
we'll recognize him right away because he looks exactly the same as he looked 40 years ago. And then he'll see us, we'll see him, and that'll be that. And we'll he'll see that we're all together. And that's all everybody wanted. So we go to the dock the next morning. We get there early. We're all hanging out. Again, Giggle City. Everybody's cracking up about how hilarious this will be. They've printed out old photos of him and written, who's your daddy on them? And then finally, it's getting really close to boat time. And we realize no one is there. The office doesn't seem to be open. The boats are not moving. And then um, we there was somebody else on the dock. So we went and he asked them about the boat. And they said, oh, no, no, it doesn't leave from here. It leaves from across the bay because we were right next to the Queen Mary and it used to leave from there, but they they moved the dock. So, of course, then it's a mad scramble. Everybody's hopping into cars, mad scrambling across the bay to get there before the boat leaves. And we got there literally as the boat was about to pull away from the dock. So we raced to the like the edge point of the harbor and we all stood there and waved to the boat together as it went by. And we don't know who or who saw us on the boat or what they may have thought about all of us standing there. But that was as close as we got to us. We didn't even know if he was on that boat. But we, in a madcap race, we tried to get there in time. And in our own foolishness, we we missed our opportunity. The weekend was over. Everyone had flights to catch and normal lives to return to. But all these broken, abandoned families had suddenly become one big, warm, wonderful family. Yeah, we went into town and had brunch, and then everybody went home. <laughs> but it was totally fine. Nobody was sad about it. And that, that to me, is the revenge. Like, yeah, they're, they're all these great people. I've had such an amazing time meeting all of these people that he has nothing to do with in his life. And it's his loss. He is really missing out. And that's on him. And you know what? That was a choice that he made. This is the life that he made for himself. And we have the opportunity to make our own lives and make with it what we want. And we have decided we all want to be together. And we have no interest in him being a part of that. And him knowing about it just would make it sweeter because he's just not welcome. He's just not going to be a part of it. That did, however, leave the story without an ending. You you know what's funny about it, too, though, is that, like, um, somebody said that, oh, but I kind of like that as an ending, that you just watch the boat go away. And it's like a funny thought, like, if I were making up this story, I would make up a reason why that had to be how it ended. Because I would, you know, unless you really are going to do some, like, apocalypse now, like, here's this unfathomable man that I finally found scene. It's like, it's hard to imagine what that next thing is and how it be a satisfying ending. But so, like, this kind of non-ending ending has a kind of poetry to it that um, actually finding anything, it's hard to imagine beating that but also it's real life and you want to learn things this amazing family coming together and helping one another heal is an amazing enough ending on its own and for a long time that's where the story ended and this week that's where we're going to leave it but a little while later they did learn some things the family decided to have another reunion and this time they went to church the decades in the making confrontation did go down and avery was there for every moment recorded every shakespearean twist and turn We'll have that next week on In One Words. In our next episode, Thou Art the Man. All of the audio for the story is recorded by Avery Truffleman, who was edited by me, Ryan Estrada. Thanks to Kane Lynch for bringing me the story. You can read Delicate Lies, a graphic novel about it, at kanelynch.com. You can listen to Derek Hartley's show at derekandromaine.com. Thanks to Leslie, Donna, Carol, and Tracy for sharing their experiences. Our theme song is by Rob the Universe. 
Creative Commons music used in this episode include Beat the Burglar by Scott Holmes, One Shot Charlie by Corey Gray, Spaceful by Andy G. Cohen, The Mission by Josh Woodward, and Under Suspicion by Lee Rosevere. Thank you for listening to Unwanted Words. Don't miss part two in the next episode. This was just the beginning. In the meantime, go check your spam. Any thoughts of the theme song? Yes. It's Lies, Lies, Lies by the Thompson Twins. It goes a little something like this. Lies, 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 yeah, they're gonna get you. Lies, 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 yeah, they won't forget you. It's an 80s song. Look it up. You'll love it. (laughs)